Welcome to Humans of Magic, the show that gets deep and personal with your favorite Magic the Gathering personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. This is episode 51 with Paul Chion. Paul is a commentator for Magic and the esports relationship manager at Wizards of the Coast. Previously, he was a professional Magic player, full-time streamer, and Wizards play design member. In this episode, we're going to explore a whole bunch of things about Paul, and there's definitely going to be some surprises along the way. Paul's going to share his insights on growing up Asian, healthy living, the five years he spent living on a Caribbean island, and now life at Wizards of the Coast. There's a good mix of personal background and introspection in his stories, and it's a really fun listen. Just to set some context, we recorded the podcast during the 2019 NBA Finals, so there's a tiny bit of basketball talk in here. Not too much, but enough to show the side of Paul that loves hoops. Before we begin, let's give a shout out to our sponsors. Music in this episode is brought to you by Coopla. Coopla is an amazing artist, and his music has become part of my everyday listening rotation. Check him out on all the places you find music, including SoundCloud and Spotify. Humans of Magic is sponsored by ChannelFireball.com. Channel Fireball is the place to go for all of your magic needs, with a huge selection of sealed products, singles, accessories, and more. And if you want to level up your magic game, There's a ton of great strategy content on the Channel Fireball site, and it's all free. The magic train never stops. You've probably seen all of the hot new spoilers for the M20 set. Get your pre-orders in at ChannelFireball.com and have fun with it. Build the deck of your dreams with Channel Fireball's extensive selection of magic singles. Humans of Magic is also sponsored by Cardboard Live. Cardboard Live transforms the way you interact with magic broadcasts, complete with player deck lists, real-time standings, metagame analysis, and more. You can find Cardboard Live on the biggest Magic live streams today, including the Star City Games Open Series, Magic's Mythic Championships, and the upcoming Magic Fest Dallas, brought to you by the fine folks at ChannelFireball.com. When you watch any of these events live on Twitch, Cardboard Live will be there, waiting for you. And if you're a streamer, you're streaming Magic, you're going to love using Cardboard Live. It works for Magic Arena, Magic Online, and even your local paper tournament. It's super easy to use and completely free. To get started, visit Cardboard.Live. Last but not least, I've got an exciting project on the way. I am working on the Humans of Magic book, which is a collection of interviews with the finest magic people on the planet. The book features John Finko, Paulo Vitor Damo de Rosa, Jerry Thompson, Luis Scott Vargas, Emma Handy, and other brilliant minds in the game. An all-star lineup, all in one place, and you can find their insights on magic and life. The book introduces brand new stuff that you won't find anywhere else. Color illustrations, themes linking the interviews together, and a special introduction. As a thank you to listeners of this show, I'm giving away free copies of the book. To enter the prize draw, visit the Humans of Magic website at humansofmagic.com. Head over there, join the mailing list, and you will be entered into the draw. Once again, that's humansofmagic.com. The Humans of Magic book, it's coming real soon. Don't miss it. All right, let's get into it. This is Humans of Magic with Paul Chion.
Hey, Paul, how's it going? Uh, things are okay. Things are looking good. That's great. I know you're a big basketball fan, so I guess you're also looking forward to the game today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, let's make this super short so I can hit uh, watch, watch the second half of the NBA Finals. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm a huge, huge basketball fan, big Laker fan, but uh, things aren't looking great right now. Hopefully things will change next season. Yeah, this is a really bad season. Hopefully next season will be better with all the craziness that's been happening in the front office and otherwise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we already knew that like nobody was going to really beat the Warriors this year. I mean, actually, who knows, right? I mean, now everybody on the Warriors is hurt. But, uh, you know, we thought that this was just an opportunity for him to uh, train up everybody else. And then next year we get one or two free agents. So fingers crossed. We'll see how it goes. For sure. And uh, I know that we have been wanting to do this for a bit. You have, is it two kids? I have, I have two boys, Kyle and Jake. Okay. And how old are they right now? Uh, Kyle is five, although he's always quick to remind me that he's five and a half. Uh, and uh, Jake is three. He just turned, he turned three a couple months ago. Very nice. And are they playing Magic yet? Um, well, so, uh, no, uh, Kyle knows when I'm playing magic and I've actually, one of my most viewed videos on, on YouTube, uh, was back when I streamed and I posted a video where Kyle got to pick all my cards. And so Kyle, <laughs> it was a cube draft. Fortunately it was a cube draft. So the power level of all the cards are, are really high, but Kyle just picked cards at random when he was like three years old. So that's kind of all the experience that he has with magic so far. I want to teach him, but I... You know, I think my, he might need like another year or so. This is kind of jumping ahead. This is sort of a kind of related, but do you remember how old you were when you first started playing Magic or got in touch with the cards? Yeah, yeah. So I started playing Magic uh, when I was in middle school. So I want to say when I was uh, 11, maybe, or 12, uh, you know, on my school bus on my way to school, uh, uh, somebody, some, some kids were just playing with the cards and they introduced me to Magic. And so I got... Um, I got my parents to buy me some booster packs. Uh, and so they bought me some booster packs from the store. And I was really excited. I'm like, all right, I'm going to have these cards. I'm going to build my deck. But I didn't realize that the booster packs didn't have lanes in them. So then I had to beg and plead and cry to get my parents to take me back to the store to buy basic lands because I didn't have any. And then finally, I was able to build my deck. And uh, I mean, that's kind of when I got started. But um, I would say that competitively, I, I really, really, truly got into Magic um, when I was in college. Okay, so there was a bit of time between when you first started knowing about the game and actually playing in tournaments and whatnot. Yes, there was. Uh, I mean, it was, I want to say, yeah, I want to say there was like a good, like I just stopped playing and I want to say that there was probably a good th two or three years where I didn't play. Like a ton of magic is like I played a little bit of magic. Uh, my deck got to however good it was with the six booster packs that my parents bought me. I didn't have money to buy any more packs, so then you know I just kind of stopped playing. And then once I you know was able to actually afford playing the game, you know being able to buy boosters and playing on Magic Online, that's when I really did a, a deeper dive into the game. Got it. And did you play the game with your friends or your siblings? I actually don't know if you have any siblings. Uh, I have a little sister, but she was not really into strategic games. She she does play games. She's actually a streamer too. Um, but uh, no, she doesn't play Magic. But I, I played a lot with my 
I played a ton of Magic with my college friends, um, which kind of got me into it. My my good friend Alex, he uh, he kind of introduced me to the game, and he always, you know, he, even today, he goes, you know, I got that guy into Magic, and I'm like, all right, whatever, dude, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I played a lot with him. I remember us uh, really do, playing a ton of Magic online, and. Um, joining draft after draft losing draft after draft after draft and it was it was such an incredible moment the the time we won our first draft it w- took us like 10 drafts to really figure out how to win our first draft and it was like at that moment we were like all right you know m- m- you know maybe we can just keep playing keep getting to the level where uh you know maybe one day uh we can you know actually take the game seriously and play competitively so paul let me backtrack a little bit you're obviously a fairly well-known player in Magic personality, and you now work for Wizards, and you're on camera a lot. But just for our listeners, I would love to know, sort of, just give me the broad strokes. You know, where did you grow up? What was it like at home? Tell me a little bit about your parents and maybe even your sister. Okay. Um, okay, so uh, born and raised in Los Angeles, California, sunny L.A. <laughs> Hence know- the Lakers, yeah. <laughs> Hence the Lakers makes sense. A big Dodger fan too. Uh, not an Angels fan, obviously. Not a Clippers fan, obviously. Any true <laughs> LA fan will be a Lakers and Dodgers fan. That's right. Uh, don't don't at me. Uh, and uh, and yeah, so I, I I grew up in LA. My parents, uh, you know, my dad came to the states when he was twelve. Uh, my grandfather this is from was uh, Korea, is it? Yeah, from Korea. Yeah, both my parents are from Korea. And then my mom came here a little bit later when her twenties, early twenties. And so, yeah, they're both, uh, you know, born in Korea. And I was, you know, the first, pers- first person in our family to be born in the States. Um, Do you know how they met your parents? Uh, yeah, through church. Through church. Yeah. Uh, my grandf- Like I said, my grandfather was a minister. And so, uh, you know, uh, one of the people that he was, uh, that was kind of part of his group was like, hey, we have a daughter. So they kind of introduced, they were introduced to each other through church. And then they, they hit it off and, uh, and and got married. Right on. Yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, I had, I, I, would, I would say that I had your typical, I mean, pretty stereotypical Asian upbringing. Maybe you can relate to this, but, you know, they were, they were uh, very strict and, uh, you know, it was all about education. And uh, even from, from a very young age, you know, they really made me focus on my education. So I wasn't really into, they didn't make me do anything, any athletics, but it was a lot of math, mm-hmm. a lot of math. Uh, and uh, that, you know, th- they really kind of hammered that down. They're like, hey, th- they wanted me to be a doctor when I was a kid, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, you know, yeah, they really, really, you know, made me focus on my academics. And I think, you know, part of that allowed me to kind of use those skills in, in magic, because of course, there is a lot of math in magic. Were you pretty good at math at an early age, or how how did that go? Yeah, yeah, I think I, uh, yeah, I that that when when I was young, I like, you know, I, I mean, I think they pushed me down the right path. I was never really athletic in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and uh, you know, when it when it came to school stuff, you know, um, uh, a lot of those things, you know, came came. Re- pretty easily, you know, and so they, they really did, they just encouraged me in a kind of the areas where I was strong at, um, because they knew that, uh, for me to have success in my future, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, do the things that you're, that you're adept at. So they kind of really helped push me in that direction. Where did you live exactly? And where did you go to school? Uh, I grew up in, 
I grew up in Los Angeles, but it's a, it's a little subsection. It's called K-Town. It's Koreatown. So uh, it's actually got the largest population of Korean people uh, in the U.S. And so it has the best Korean food, too. Uh, so I, I love it. Every time I go back, I just gain like five pounds. Uh, <laughs> but if it, yeah, that's why I tell my friends, I'm like, I, I cannot live in L.A. If I live in L.A., it's all over. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up in K-Town. Um, just went to the local elementary school. Um you know, no, no, no private school, anything like that. Um, and then I went to Palms Middle School. It was a magnet school. So I had to, that was kind of in Santa Monica area. And uh, I took a bus there every morning, had to get up super early, uh, was never a morning person. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then from, from Palms, then I went to Cal State Los Angeles uh, for college. Okay, so before going to college, did you have any favorite teachers or stories or experiences at all, you know, in high school? What was the craziest thing that happened to you? Uh, well, I, I didn't, I didn't go to high school. Um, I, I, I skipped high school. I went from eighth grade to college, uh, because Cal State LA had, uh, something called the early entrance program. So anybody from anybody who's an Eepster, I'm going to make a call. Anybody who's an Eepster, anybody's from the early entrance program, shout out to those guys. Uh, yeah, but um, the Cal State offered a program where you take a test that was kind of similar to like the SATs, uh-huh. um, or, or, or very similar. And if you got a high enough score, um, they put you in a provisional quarter, uh, summer quarter, and then if you do well enough, then you get accepted into the program. So uh, there was no experiences from high school. But my favorite teacher before that was Mrs. Suzukita from my Van Ness Avenue Elementary School. Uh, she she really. I mean, she really went above and beyond to kind of um, push me uh, in terms of just like what I can do academically. And uh, I mean, I'm thinking about the types of things that she did to challenge me. And it's like, wow, like she really went out of her way. So yeah, she was definitely my favorite teacher. Did she specialize in a specific subject or subjects? Um, yeah, well, so she, she I, I, I don't remember, actually, she was just because it was fifth grade, right? She was yeah, just a, long just time a normal ago. teacher. Yeah, no, no periods or anything. But um, uh, she would keep me in after school, there was like a small program where uh, she would make me focus on science. So I think that's kind of where her passion was. So, uh, you know, she taught a lot of she gave me a lot of extra science lessons after school. Got it. That's very generous of her. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, yeah, I still remember to this day. And it was a very sad moment when I found when I found out that she actually moved schools uh, even long after I left. Because I would, uh, I mean, this is how much she meant to me. I would even go to my elementary school uh, a couple a few years later just to just to say hi. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So this early entrance program sounds quite prestigious. Give me an idea of. How many people actually go through this every year? Like how how small or how big is the opportunity? Because it sounds like a pretty hard thing to do to jump from elementary school straight into college. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty small group, I would say. It's not a lot of kids that get accepted. Um, you know, it's um, I would say that it's something like twenty to thirty kids every year get in. I don't know how many people actually apply. Um, but this is kind of for the California region. Uh, and there was a, some test, I believe it was called the Washington pre-college test. So it might actually be based out of Washington here. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's about 20 to 30 kids. And, you know, I think that's at that point, cause you know, growing up, I was like, you know, consider one of the smart kids. 
And then when I got into that program, I re- like it just made me realize just like there are just so many just extremely talented and smart people out there. I just felt kind of dumb, honestly. <laughs> so it's like you're crushing the F and M, and then you go to the Pro Tour kind of thing. Oh, that's that's literally what happened. I was just, I went from like you just like yeah yeah smartest kid in my in my class like not close to uh you know bottom tier <laughs> bottom tier <laughs> early entrance program where everybody is just like beyond genius level intellect they're all going to be super successful and uh you know like there were these like 10 year old kids getting perfect scores in their ICTs. you know it was like on that level so that must have changed how you felt about yourself and also the world in some way right yeah absolutely and you know what that's probably where i kind of got used to just hanging out with a bunch of just very intelligent people and so i was able to make that transition into magic as well where you know a lot of my friends you know, our top level magic players, and they're also some of the smartest people that I know. But I just feel comfortable being in that environment because of kind of my experience in the early interest program. Okay, so you were a smart kid and obviously talented in a lot of ways. But at the same time, you're not sort of above trying to learn from or associating with people who were, quote unquote, stronger than you were, right, in some way. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've always just been like, I mean, that's always been my approach to everything in life is just like, no matter what you do, there's going to be somebody better than you at it. And guess what you need to do? You need to find that person and learn from them. Uh, And, uh, you know, I think that's part of what helped me uh, have success in magic. You know, I, I, I networking was very, very important. And I reached out to a lot of these people that were doing well crushing on magic online obviously i I was a nobody right uh when i first got started so you know i I wasn't able to reach out to kai or 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 finkel or anything but i was looking for all the people who was doing really well on 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 magic online and you know that's that's kind of actually how i met uh luis and uh and so we kind of hit it off and uh, this is when you were in college right yeah, this was when I was in college. This is when I met Luis online, not in not in real life. And um, you know, we kind of hit it off, and then we just started bouncing ideas off each other, and uh, you know, just became really good friends online. And then, uh, and then, you know, we we met we met in real life at the Pro Tour Philadelphia, and that's when we st- st- the blossoming of a beautiful friendship, I guess, uh, because it took him literally three minutes after he met me. Like like face to face to start trolling me, so the trolling <laughs> started basically almost immediately after I met him. <laughs> okay, and thank goodness that you were at a stage in your life where you could actually take it and not be too put off by it. Although I imagine it must have still been hard. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it actually just caught me off guard, right? Because normally, right, when you meet somebody for the first time, yeah, you're very friendly. Time. Yeah, yeah, you're pretty friendly. You're still trying to get comfortable. You're, you're not sure what your your boundaries are, right? So you're just like very pleasant, very friendly, and you just act, you know, very reasonable. And like, literally, just took him minutes before he started making these jokes, uh, you know, cracking jokes at me. And I was like, "What the hell? I just met you, dude. What the hell? You know?" And uh, <laughs> and uh, and yeah. And it hasn't stopped. <laughs> so in the beginning, it was a little bit of disbelief that this guy was like three minutes in, he's trolling you or saying some cr- crazy stuff. Yeah, I know. I mean, it was trolling at first sight. That's what it was. <laughs> Did you guys ever talk about how maybe what was it in you that he saw where he felt like he could do that? Because I'm sure he doesn't troll everybody within three minutes of meeting them. Yeah, I mean, well, I think at this point, it's not a secret. Everybody knows that he's a big troll. But yeah, uh, I think he generally tends to do it to, 
you know, people that he's extremely comfortable with um, knowing and also people that he knows can kind of handle the joke. Uh, that's part of the thing, right? You know, you, you don't want to be making jokes to people who will take offense to it. Um, so I think he's just good at being able to gauge that. Uh, and I think oftentimes he will make those jokes to kind of people that he considers close friends. So, uh, yeah. you know, I, I've learned to take it in stride. But uh, if he gets a little too far out of line, I will let him <laughs> know and he will he will he will step back. Well, now that you mentioned that, I feel very honored that, you know, he, he started <laughs> trolling me, too. So it's like, OK, all right. I'm part of the the the, the circle, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's just him showing affection. That's like him saying, I like you, so don't worry about it. You're good now. You're good. Sweet. <laughs> Paul, I wanted to go back to the college because I, I just, I just, it's still hard for me to get over how exceptional that was. Like, how did you feel when you went straight into college like that? And how did your parents feel? Like, did they express any happiness or they, or was it more like the Asian thing? Like, yeah, this is like what I'm, what's expected of you, Paul, you know, like, don't get too high on this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I've kind of spent my entire life trying to appease them, right? Uh, doing everything I can, and and you know, it, it, it's kind of like if I do something well, that's expected, and if I fail, then that's a big problem. Um, but I mean, I've I've learned to kind of move past that now in my life. But it was definitely something that I was looking towards uh, back in the day. But I mean, you know, it was it, it's for them. It was like kind of bragging rights, right? It's like your kid goes to college now that he can they can tell all their friends that their kid goes to college. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I mean, it, it, you know, at first, of course, it was a bit of a shell shock, right? Like I was I was twelve. I was sitting in a class with a bunch of grownups, and you know, I was I for whatever reason I chose to have my first class be a philosophy class. What the hell do I know about life when I'm twelve, right? And, <laughs> Uh, and so, so I was sitting there just completely overwhelmed. I mean, I was sitting at the front. I was shaking. I was just like, what, what, what am I doing here? What's going on? Um, but then, you know, you, you, get, you get used to it. You get comfortable, kind of like with everything else in life. And, uh, you know, at some point, I kind of forgot that I was this kid uh, until, until, you know, one of the, my classmates would remind me, uh, which wasn't infrequent. It happened. Um, but you know, at the same time, I think a lot of people also wanted to like, you know, I was a biology major. People wanted to like team up with me anyways for labs and stuff because they're like, oh, well, if he's here, he's probably good at what he does, right? <laughs> the smart so kid. Yeah. My, yeah. my experiences weren't, weren't too bad. That's good. And would you say that Luis became one of your best friends even during that time or who did you hang out with? Was it primarily magic players or just classmates or whatnot? Um, I would say that, you know, I had, I had, I had a couple of close friends in college. Um, uh, at the time it wasn't, it wasn't quite Luis yet. Um, it was, it was my friend, Alex, Alex Lee got me into magic. And then I had a couple of other friends from the early interest program, uh, you know, that, that I spent a lot of time with playing some magic. Uh, they don't really play a lot very competitively, but you know, they like games. They like, they had my similar interests. They like sports. Uh, and uh, those are kind of my two biggest interests, you know, gaming and sports. So, uh, you know, those are the people that I hung out with. But once I stopped going to college and started, you know, really kind of going all in on the competitive magic circuit, that's when kind of Luis became one of my best friends. Did it also take you four years to go through college like a regular person or did you accelerate that as well? Yeah, so actually I, I, I did not end up completing college. I, I went for... I went for a few years. I had I had a year left, and that's when it kind of uh, my life just kind of uh, 
flipped on its head, I guess. Um, I, um, yeah, so I had a year left to go. And at that point, I was starting to really feel like I was getting good at the game. Uh, like, you know, to the point where I'm like, you know what, I think I could play on the Pro Tour. You know, I think I think I have what it takes to be one of the best. And, you know, uh, so I, I want to give it a shot. I want to I want to, you know, finish college, obviously, but I also want to play competitive magic. Um, but it was one of those things where, you know, um, obviously, now that I think about it, it was highly irresponsible of me because <laughs> mm-hmm. now I'm a parent. But, you know, I can imagine what this sounded like to my parents. And they, they basically just said, hey, look, we're, we're not going to we're not going to support this. You know, like, you know, you, you're going to, you went to college early for a reason. We want you to graduate. We want to focus all your attention to making sure you set yourself up for your future. And me being kind of at this point now, rebellious teenager, right? I'm like, you know, right. You were still a teenager. Yeah. Right. 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 At this point, I'm just like, no, I'm tired of listening to everything that you have to say. I want to be a magic pro. And now, again, I'm thinking about what would happen if Kyle told me this, and I'd be like, you are out of your mind, you know? <laughs> but at the time, I thought it was completely justified, so this is just all on me. And I was just like, look, I think I have what it takes, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, and, and so I'm going to follow my dream here and see what happens with this, and if it doesn't go well, then I can go back and finish school. And I don't recommend this to everybody. Um, and now that I think about it, I probably should have finished school, but I think I got very, very lucky. I, I was able, you know, so, so, so ultimately what ended up happening from that exchange was I, I moved out and I actually moved in and slept on Luis's couch and because I had no money. Right. And mm-hmm. so, so now I was like, all right, well, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna see what, what I can do with this. And, uh, uh and that's really when my game, part of, part of it was, I was I was like look I was so committed to kind of proving that I can be one of the best that that you know I spent like our daily life was just us playing 12 hours of magic every single day bouncing ideas off each other burning each other this learning is like from on each magic other. online or on oh. on magic online yeah we played a ton of magic online and you know, we, we just kept leveling each other up, I feel. And, you know, and, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, about a year later, we both kind of burst out onto the competitive magic scene at the same time where, where we both made the national team. We both started topping a bunch of Grand Prix. And then before you know it, all of a sudden, I was kind of what, what uh, people would refer to as the gravy train. You know, I was qualified for all events. I was basically like the effectively platinum. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with, with, with all of magic, but it, it, it started off really rocky. It started off really rocky. Well, what do you mean by starting off rocky? I, it, you mean like the, the path to actually having those GP finishes or after that? Well, I mean, in the beginning, it was a struggle. Like, you know, honestly, winning a PTQ is very, very hard. And, you know, I got a bunch of second places, a bunch of top eights, but I wasn't able to spike the qualification. And, um, you know, it's it's like, you know, I was a broke gamer. You know, uh, I I had no money. I made money by playing on Magic Online and, and grinding tickets and, and, you know, doing what I can to, to, to stay afloat. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, I couldn't even afford to pay Luis rent. 
Right. Um, so, so it was, it was one of those things where, I mean, even now to this day, I'm, I'm super grateful that they gave me a couch to, to sleep on while, you know, I got to just kind of try to do what I could to be a competitive magic player. Were you in touch with your family at this time or did you guys stop communicating for a while? I was not, I was not. I, uh, it's one of those things where I was just kind of, I had this mindset. I was like, look, I need to do everything I can to um, make it, and if uh, you know, it was one of those like it. it and uh, there's no plan B. Like let's just go th- ahead. There, and there do was it, no right? plan B. There's no plan B, and you know, it took some time. But then, but then, you know, uh, you know, honestly, um, it didn't take long for them to reach out again. Um, you know, they're very, very caring parents, and they just now that I think about it, it's like they wanted what was best for me. Um, and I understand this more because I also have two kids, and. Um, and that's we started talking, especially once I started having more success. And it's more like, uh, I think I just needed to escape. I needed to just be on my own for them to really let go. You know, mm-hmm. because if you if you think about kind of my path when I was growing up, um, you know, it was one of those where they kind of had full control, right? They, 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 they kind of guided me into this path of going to college early, really making me focus on my academics, pretty strict. And, you know, so, so I... You know, at some point, you know, like I said, I had that rebellious phase where I'm like, okay, I want to just do things on my own. I want to, I, I want to live my own life. And so once I kind of demonstrated to them that I, I can live my own life and I can support myself, uh, once I started doing well at Magic, that's when they were like, okay, well, we can't stop him from doing what he wants. So let's accept this, and you know, see if we can still have a good relationship. And uh, you know, since then. Um, it's been, uh, you know, everything's been totally fine with with me and my family. That's that's great. And Paul, I also wanted to ask, because there's probably lots of people out there even today that are playing 12 hours of magic a day. What was <laughs> it about that experience that really made you feel like you leveled up? Was it just being able to have conversations with Luis on game states? Like, was it repetition? Like, what was it exactly that made you feel like, okay, I am a good magic player? So there are several things. Um, there are several components, I think, to to kind of get to that top level. Uh, of course, you just naturally need to be talented, I think. I think you just need to be able to learn from your mistakes and move on. You can't be that that person who gets mana screwed and throws the deck against the wall, right? Because you're not going to learn anything. Every time, even when you win, you always have to be able to look back and, and you know, learn from your mistakes. So that's, that's one thing that it takes, right? You need to be able to just continue to um, analyze yourself and look to see where you can improve. But number, number two is also just networking. I think there's only, you can only get so good by playing by yourself. And I was fortunate enough to find somebody who was, you know, on my level, if not better, um, that I was able to just continue just learning from. And we would constantly talk through plays, constantly talk through the lines, and just always just be, we were living, breathing magic players. That, that That's all we did. And, you know, uh, and we, and also just that passion. We had that passion for the game. We absolutely love it. And look, I mean, it's, you know, what is this now? It, I mean, it's been almost 20 years, you know, it's been a little less than 20 years and, you know, and I still love the game and Luis still loves the game. You know, I talked to Luis and I'm like, Hey, do you even play any of the games? He's like, no, nah, man, just magic. I love the game too much. Right. So um, that is kind of that mindset that you need to to try to get to that level and um 
And I think both of us just, yes, I think just living together really helped us level each other up. And it's one of those things where, you know, once you just keep winning a ton – Mm-hmm. Um, in anything that your confidence just keeps naturally building. So for us, we were just crushing everything on Magic Online. So we were like, all right, well, at some point, this is probably going to translate to real life. And fortunately for us, it actually did. Yeah, I would imagine, especially at that time, if you are doing really well online, it definitely means that you have an edge in paper tournaments because paper, on average, is probably a little softer than some of the, the play online, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. I would say that you know we talk about it even in the office. We're like, hey, what's the what's like the hardest way to qualify for you know I guess now the mythic championships? And it's like you know what I think it's actually Magic Online PTQ, mm-hmm. you know the, the or, or I guess now the MCQ where um, because yeah again the average level you're just not gonna because you're just not gonna play against like random deck that somebody brewed up from you know their local FNM anymore. That's that's just so rare, especially online, where you know with the age of the internet, everybody just has access to kind of the best decks. Um, and also just people on online play more, right? You know, like you can get so many more reps in by playing online than you can just going to your local store where you have to wait for the round to end. And you know, after after four hours you've played four rounds. Whereas, you know, online in four hours you could get in like eight matches. You know what I mean? You can get in twice the number of matches and always on demand as well. So I think that was kind of the edge. And if you notice, I mean, a lot of the best players now came from people who had a lot of success on Magic Online. I mean, look at uh, Reed Duke, for example. You know, he was a total grinder. And uh, and now even his cousin, uh, Logan Nettles, you know, Jabberwocky, also putting in the amount of time and now starting to translate that into success uh, in tabletop. Yes, uh, his cousin is very well known now in Magic. Something that water and Sugarloaf, or, or something <laughs> that 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 Duke, that Duke family line, you know, just makes you right. good at Magic. I guess there's something in that magical lineage. <laughs> something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, if you were to look back at your youth in that time, I mean, obviously these are things that were really good, and you, you describe ways in which you leveled up your game. But what are some things that maybe were mistakes or missteps that you might have taken at that time? Um, I mean, you know, honestly, it's. It, I look back now, and again, I talk about how fortunate I was to be able to be to have that success, right? Because because I was so hell bent on proving kind of everybody wrong. Uh, but you know, if it didn't pan out, how how big of a risk was that? You know what I mean? Like I kind of jeopardized everything that. I, I mean, I basically jeopardized my future by following this dream, and it's it's one of those you know for every success story, how many people have tried to do this and failed? And so now that I think about it and kind of put things in perspective, it's like wow, this was <laughs> this was kind of crazy uh, for me to try to do. And um, so you know, I, I consider myself extremely blessed that everything kind of turned out the way that it did for me in life but now i know that you know it was a huge huge risk um but you know i i I followed my passion and uh so i at the time i felt like this was yes definitely the correct thing for me to do but now in hindsight I don't know, maybe there was a better way for me to kind of hedge both. Um, yeah, and, and, and look to finish school 
and also you know play some magic and and I would recommend that to to just about anybody else because this is coming from somebody who kind of took that leap of faith took that risk but now I'm just like that that was that was really you know I, that, that that was a little little irresponsible of me and and I, I kind of wish I left myself a few more outs you know kind of like in magic you always play tier outs <laughs> yeah. I, I I basically had the one out uh, and you know mm-hmm. fortunately enough I got there. Although I'm not trying to suggest that, and I don't think you're suggesting that your story, someone should just listen to this and apply it to, you know, oh, I'm in high school. I should just start playing Magic full time. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I am not advocating for In fact, I'm advocating for the opposite. I, For the most part, I'm saying you should, Magic should be mostly a hobby, you know, and if you're very good, sure, playing play your local competition, your tournaments. And hey, look, if that's what takes up all your time outside of what you need to do for your studies, great. But I would not recommend just doing only magic um you know unless you're not in school or whatever i definitely get that that's not what you're trying to yeah, to yeah, preach yeah. is is go on on magic but there's got to be something to the fact that you did and that intense all-in kind of focus must have helped right because if you don't think of there being an alternate plan or outcome to just being really good at magic and getting on the gravy train there's got to be something there that helped you because if you didn't operate that way you also probably would not be in the same spot as you are just by hedging your bets do you know what i mean uh, right no no there you definitely that's a good point and yeah i i will never know uh what would have happened if i kind of split it i would guess that because i was so i i played the game so much that i probably would continue to play a lot maybe not 12 hours a day but i could still see myself playing six hours a day you know what i mean um, so, so who knows, who knows where I would have been with that, but yeah, I mean, um, I definitely gave it my all and, uh, and, uh, yeah, we, <laughs> we, uh, we managed to, we spiked, we spiked in life, I guess. Was there any point in time either before or after you got onto the gravy train where maybe you had your darkest time as a magic player and you actually started to reconsider all of this? Yeah, I mean, I will. I would say that that was probably the first year or so where I was trying to get there. Um, you know, the struggle is real. Uh, we we would play PTQs. I'd be able to try to muster up some money to travel to a Grand Prix to try to do well there. And so, you know, it was one of those times where yes, I was getting a lot better at the game, but at the same time, you never know, right? And uh, at some point, you get sick of uh, being able to, you know, only eat, you know, whatever your local fast food chain every single day mm-hmm. um, because that's all you can afford. And so th- th- those were the tough days. I mean, th- I mean, just the first few days were just like me realizing that, hey, I'm not in the comfort of my own home and I'm really by myself. I mean, that, that those were the scariest moments. But uh, I think once I started having success, um, you know. Uh, things were kind of on the up and up and I haven't really looked back since. Okay. So walk me through that after getting on the gravy train, because you're not a pro player today, there's a lot of things that happened along the way, but walk me through what, what happened after that and sort of what led you perhaps to, to Denver and maybe even outside of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> nice, nice little teaser there. Uh, there you go. So, uh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, so after living with Luis, um, my, my good friend Alex, who got me into magic, 
he invited me to stay in his apartment in Denver. And I, I uh, already kind of visited them, hung out, and the apartment was great, a lot of space, and it was in a really nice place. Um, so I was like, okay, well, you know what? This this is just like a really nice living environment. I'm going to be able to just have much more space, and you know, I don't have to just be leeching off of Luis's couch anymore. So I ultimately made that move, and you know, I had magic success for about two years, I would say. And at this point, you know, I was making, I was going through a lot of different changes personally too, because you know, now I was at the point where I had the success because I set my mind to it. Right? I was like, look, if I can set my mind, and at this point, I was like, if I can set my mind on anything, I can have success. And so I was also going through this huge uh, kind of like weight loss thing as well because and it was all inspired from a good friend of mine David Ochoa who who commented on an interview I did um, in one of the Grand Prix where he was like Paul you look different and I was like what do you mean he goes um yeah you look fat like <laughs> no, no, he didn't hold back any punches he was right. just like just straight yep. up yeah, he was just like, you look overweight. And I was like, all right, well, this will be my new challenge. Uh, because actually, you know, that's the one, another negative thing. When I was living with Luis, because we both like to eat, uh, in one year, I gained 40 pounds. 40 pounds in one year. Just like almost, that's almost a pound a week. Yeah. Um, and so, so yeah, <laughs> I kind of, uh, I, I focused a lot of my attention when I was in Colorado in, in some of that. And at that point, then my, 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 kind of my where I was at in my head to started to change I was like hey okay now I got to start thinking about my future and I was like you know is playing competitive magic really the future for me because sure you know I was I was doing okay in tournaments but at the time I mean now things are a lot different right with the MPL there's like and and uh and streaming there's just a lot more ways to make money mm -hmm. but back then it was there was not a lot. You just have you to get could, the results right? or else, right? Right, right. You could, you have to get the results. And we had a sponsorship, a, a small sponsorship with, uh, with the store. And then also you can write some articles. Mm -hmm. But I mean, honestly, it was like... It's tough. Yeah, it was like 30K a year. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? At best. So it just, it was one of those things where I'm like, hey, I can't, I can't just do this for, for the rest of my life. And that's when another opportunity came. Um, Ted Knutson uh, reached out to me. He... He was working um, for an online sports company, online sports betting company out of Curacao, um, which is a tropical island right next to Aruba. I think a lot of Americans have heard of Aruba, but probably not Curacao. And he was like, hey, look, if you can come here, you can be a sports trader with us. And, um, and you know, this is the starting salary, which is way more than I was making, of course, just playing magic. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, well, you know what, if I'm thinking about my future, and like, hey, at some point, I'm going to start a family, I'm going to need to have a job, a career. I was like, all right, well, I think I need to do this, because I don't know if what being a competitive magic player is sustainable long term. So I started thinking long term. So I, so I took that job. I moved to Curacao and I lived in a nice sunny Caribbean island for five years, and uh, it was uh, it was it, it was pretty interesting. It was pretty good times. Everything was a little slower, of course. It's island time, and I cannot tell you many important things that happened there because every day was kind of the same, mm. right? Because you're just relaxing, and I mean, it was a bit surreal, right? Because I mean, even six months in. You know, it's like a lunch break. We just chill out at the beach, and I'm like, "Wow, I live here." You know, um, 
and you know that that was that was a, that was a nice time in my life. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. I made a lot of good friends there as well, and a lot of other Magic players also got hired as well. So it's not like I just moved to a Caribbean island by myself. You know, there were there were a lot of Magic players. You know. Uh, Mike Adron, Rich Hohen, Antonino De Rosa, Alex Lieberman. There's just a bunch of people there. Um, so, you know, we had a nice little network of Magic players there that made that transition a lot easier. Yeah, so it was like Magic Island. You could still get your Magic fix. And of course, there's a internet connection, so you can still play Magic online, right? Okay, well, internet was a little shoddy. I actually didn't have internet for a year. Um, oh, but, okay. Uh, for my, in my house, because my landlord, for whatever reason, they don't want us to install landlines. Uh, anyways, that's a different story. But um, yeah, we did play a lot of Magic, but the only Magic we played on the island was Cube Draft. So we did lots of island Cube Drafts, so much to the point that we had a friend, Johan. Uh, he actually kept track of ELO. So we had a Cube ELO on the island. Uh, you had to have, you had to get your competitive ranking in some in some well, way. You, so written well, you record. Have a, you have an island full of competitive Magic players. You don't think somebody's going to try to keep track of ELO? Uh, but yeah, actually, Huey also used to work in Curacao, uh, William Jensen. Mm-hmm. And he, I believe, had the highest ELO, which is not really a surprise, right? Yeah, that's uh, yeah. one of the game's greats. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, uh, that's really interesting. I had no idea about all this. And then you said five years there, so... I, I would I would take it that the pace of life, as you described, is quite slow. But did you pick up any new new hobbies? Like, did you start surfing, or I don't I don't know what you did there. <laughs> uh, well, so actually, there's not a lot of good surf in Curacao. Um, you know, honestly, it was a it was a bit of a blur. But it was uh, I I don't know if I picked up more hobbies. Well, I would say that one thing that I really improved on was kind of my social skills because, like I told you, I didn't really have internet for a year, so I just went out all the time, you know. And so I was able to just kind of be more open and be able to talk to people because I just wanted to kind of get out there again. I was telling you, I was kind of making this whole transformation where I was like trying to do the fitness thing and all that stuff. So I was getting more confidence. So I was talking to more people uh, because you know when I first kind of played competitive magic you know i was i was extremely shy didn't know how to talk and that was just kind of a skill that i think i really developed over my time in curacao and on the fitness thing how did you actually lose the 40 pounds or 50 pounds that was your goal uh so in colorado there was a gym it's called lifetime fitness and me my friend what a great ronnie name. and rick yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And we would go, it was open, it was brand new, it was gigantic gym. I mean, they had an indoor and outdoor rock wall. It was crazy. And um, they just opened up, But it, uh, and we would go late, because my friend would work till like 8 p.m. So we would go from like 9 to midnight. And like the gym was gigantic. And, you know, we would only work out like one and a half hours, but we would mess around. I mean, we'd, we'd go to the hot tub, we'd like... You know, we try to climb the wall. We just do all kinds of silly stuff. But uh, in that year, I think you know, we we I really locked down, did a lot of research, and uh, you know, there were a lot of hungry nights and a very grumpy Paul. At least in the beginning of my of the diet, mm-hmm. when uh, I didn't really, I wasn't used to being hungry. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it was really just a combination of, I want to say, diet and exercise. You know, I, I made sure that I didn't go overboard with my diet and just consistent exercise. For me, it's, you know, that's the only way that I found to have success. Um, I've never just dieted. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't even know what that's like to just, you know, eat 1500 calories a day and try to lose weight because, you know, at the, especially at this point now, like I don't want to like just wither away and not be able to like maintain, you know, whatever muscle I've worked on all these years. So that's just not how I, how, how I ever lost the weight. So it was, it was a combination of both. And honestly, I mean, that's the fastest way to, to lose weight, right? You, you get, you get the benefits of both where, you know, you get to kind of build that muscle to, you know, have your resting metabolic rate be higher, lose more calories without doing anything. And then also, of course, uh, making sure you have a, a good diet as well. So the combination of those uh, led to me losing most of that, actually, like about 40 to 50 pounds in about a year. Did you manage to keep it off all these years or were there kind of uh, fluctuations, especially as you moved to the island and things like that? Uh, you know, actually, I think I got in the best shape of my life in the island because there was nothing else to do. Uh, so like my, my daily regiment was kind of like go to work, go to the gym, play basketball. Uh, we had a basketball court out in the back. We would play like an hour or two basketball in like 90 degree heat. So that was, that was like, that, you know, we get really good, really good workouts. There'd be just a giant pile of sweat. Um, and then, and then, and then, you know, go, go socialize, be a social butterfly afterwards. So yeah, I think I got in the best shape and that's probably, you know, that, and then that's where I kind of met my wife. And, uh, oh, you met then, her on the island. Well, I met her while I was in Curacao, but we met through mutual friends. She's also from Los Angeles. Uh, so, so then, Small world, you know, I she, guess. yeah, 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 I know it was, it was, it's, yeah, pretty funny how that all happened. And then, um, and then I would say that it's been more of a struggle recently, uh, where, you know, now that I've had kids, uh, especially when they were babies, now I have no excuse, but when they were babies, it was just like, I didn't, I didn't just didn't even have time to go to the gym. You know, it's mm-hmm. just like, hey, I need to be there. I need to watch the kid. And then you're stressed out. You're tired. So you just eat whatever you want. And then so, you know, I've been trying to get back into better shape recently. But, um, you know, I always just try to motivate myself to and see pictures of when I was in Curacao to try to be like, okay, I got to look like that again. Yeah, I, I mean, I admit I don't know you super well, but I remember watching a very, very old video. I think it was the one, it was when you and Luis were at a pro tour and it was when you guys oh, were walking video. through oh, Japan. Man. And yep. like, enough said, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. What's, what's funny about that video too is they would play that at every, like they played that for every pro tour we went to somewhere, like on a big screen for like a year straight. So they, like every time I looked at that video, it just kind of kept reminding me of where I used to be, which I mean, whatever, I don't mind because it's like I, yeah. I'm, I'm different yeah, you, than when you I transcended was transcended that, but it's, it's yeah. funny, right? <laughs> but, but, but looking, I, I, yeah, what's really funny about that video too is actually surprisingly somehow my pants were still too big and <laughs> I didn't have a belt. So the entire time I'm walking around Japan, just pulling up my pants, even though I was just like grossly overweight, right. but uh, yeah. It does make me wonder if Luis or David Ochoa had some special agreement with the uh, Pro Tour guys to like always run the video or something. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's like it's not like Luis was small either. You know, it's like we both kind of went like we we yeah. both ate. You, you guys horribly. both slimmed down. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah we both ate horribly, and then uh, and then you know, kind of I I shifted you know the way that I did things, and then he then he also shifted the way that he did things. But I mean, if you talk to him now, he'll be like, okay, yeah, he also wants to get back into the groove. So we're both kind of like now just with our dad bods trying to get back <laughs> to uh, where we were before we had kids. Yeah, yeah. You need to uh, 
you need to get the the dad bod back or or transcend that somehow yeah uh yeah well i'm 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 trying every day but i love to eat so much you don't understand james my my account name is literally Helmf. you know all i do is eat Mm -hmm. and i love it and i have a passion like i don't spend money on anything other than food if like if i know something's gonna taste good i will spend money on it you know but you know i won't buy like fancy clothes or anything like that it's just but when it comes to food uh like every 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 time I go somewhere to a new pro tour, or mythic championship, or wherever, I, I I always just seek out the good places to eat. So it's really hard for me to manage balance, you know, my passion for food while also trying to kind of stay in shape. Yeah, I mean, you gotta live a little, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's how I live. Yeah. So going back to the Caribbean island carousel. What was the final thing that led you to move back to the States after five years? Because obviously you're not there anymore. Right, right. Um, you know, uh, again, like you know, part of the reason why I moved to Curacao was to kind of move forward with my, my career and like just thinking about my future, right? And for, for, this, for the reason to move back, it was because I had Kyle. Um, at, at that point, you know, he, he was born and he was there. He, we were in Curacao for, for like almost a year. And I was just like, look, you know, um, I want him to have an American upbringing. You know, I, I Curacao. I, lo- I I I enjoyed Curacao. I like the island. It's a really cool place to chill out, it's, and it's a great place if you're an adult too. And it's a good vacation spot. I kind of want to go back uh, just to visit, but you know, I am not confident that it has the same level of you know just like uh, an educational system there because it's a smaller island. You know, it's not. It's not. You know, it's a. It used to be a Dutch colony, and it was, it's just – it's a smaller place. So, you know, we would have to put him through maybe an American school. Mm-hmm. But uh, I just – I honestly just wanted him to absorb the culture and just kind of grow up in the States. And that's ultimately what made me decide to move back. Um, and, uh, you know, I needed a reason to move back. And so I actually talked to Luis, and he got me a job uh, working at the Channel Fireball Game Center as the store manager, which I, by the way, had no business – being because i had i mean i did not know a thing about running a store and it was mostly just on connections with luis and him just trying to help me out they thought that eventually i would be able to learn how to do that job and i was just i did not know what i was doing and and uh you know it wasn't it just wasn't really my calling you know and so uh i only did that for a few months and then um Ultimately, I was like, okay, well, you know, I did some streaming stuff on the side and it was going pretty well for me. So I was like, what if I do this full time? And so I made the transition where I was like, hey, okay, I'm going to take another leap of faith here mm-hmm. and see if I can kind of carve out a role myself as one of the streamer, uh, was one of the top streamers. So I spent a couple of years doing that. And things were things were pretty good. Things were pretty good. You know, not not completely absurd. You know, magic didn't really explode. I mean, we're hoping that that's what happens with Arena. But you know, th- things were solid, and I was able to do that. And on top of actually making it back into competitive magic, mm-hmm. um, and making some content for Channel Fireball, I was able to piece together kind of uh, a living. But it was you know, it was kind of a grind, right? You know, it's like, hey, you got to make some money doing this. You got to make some money doing that. You know, and and you know, I got by. But you know, I, I, after two years, I was like, well, what, where's the upside here? And and then. Um, Dan Burdick 
reached out to me. He works, uh, he was the play design manager and he reached out to me and he kind of sold me on his vision. That's where kind of magic wasn't in the best state uh, for standard. And they, they wanted to create this team where they were like, okay, let's make this team where their sole job is to make sure that our core sets are, you know, great in terms of playability and balance and all that stuff. And that was kind of the birth of the play design team. And, uh, you know, he kind of sold me on that vision. And uh, that's when I started working for Wizards. How long has it been now for you at Wizards? I've been at Wizards for two years. And uh, it's been it's it's been an incredible journey. I, I mean, honestly, like, um, you know, when, when I first started working there, when I first started working here, rather, none of these sets, none of the sets that I'm working on wasn't going to be released for you know, a while, right? So I just mm -hmm. kind of had to, you know, keep my mouth shut and just kind of keep working on sets. And it wasn't until after, you know, like Guilds of Ravnica and Dominaria came out where we got to kind of see the impact of, you know, us being here mm -hmm. and and so far so good. And, you know, seeing how happy this made people, how good the sets are. Um, and knowing that, you know, I was, I played at least some part in that, has been a very, very fulfilling experience um, right. for play design. And every single set that comes out, I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's, it's, it's like, really hope people like this, really hope people are enjoying this. And uh, I think so far, uh, you know, big credit to all the set leads and, and even just shout out to all my, all my friends on play design. Um, I think, I think we've, uh, we've, We've done well. We've done a good job so far, but we got to keep doing a good job and uh, move forward. Even though I don't work at Wizards, I imagine that when you're involved in a set and it comes out, it's a little bit like it being your baby, right? Like you kind of been you've been brewing and hatching, giving birth to this thing, and then you don't know how it's going to receive. And when it gets received fairly well, it must be maybe. A, it, happiness, but also maybe a load off or relief as well that, okay, this is kind of resonating, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're always nervous. And the thing is, too, with Magic specifically, where people can like all the cards that are previewed, and then all of a sudden you mess up one card, and it could completely destroy the format, right? So, you know, we put in our time to make sure that that doesn't happen. But, hey, there's always some obscure card that could fall through the cracks, and we are hoping that that doesn't happen, right? Because like our literal job is to try to make standard fun and balanced. And so, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely like every time a set comes out and we have a couple of cards we're concerned about, we're like, all right, did somebody, did somebody, you know, smarter than us figure out how to like completely miss, make this card messed up or, or, you know, are, 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 are we doing a pretty good job? Yeah. It's a delicate walk, I would say. Well, because the thing is like you, it, it's such a tough balance where, I mean, okay, for example, Bolas Citadel, right? Mm -hmm. That's a card where everybody looks at it. They're like, holy crap, this thing is probably just completely ridiculous, right? It's like, okay, but, but believe believe me, we also can read, right? <laughs> like, 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 read and write, we, actually. Yeah. Right, we can read and write. It is a skill that is required to work here, I think. Um, yeah. and, and so when we saw this card for the first time, we were like, holy smokes, right? Mm -hmm. So we obviously went through the paces and did everything that we could to make sure that this was okay at the rate that we had it. And, uh, you know, ultimately we are, you know, so far <laughs> pretty happy with, with where the card's at. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, 
right? It's one of those cards where, yeah, somebody could have figured some other interesting interaction with it where all of a sudden it makes this like completely bonkers deck. So that's always the thing that we're a little bit nervous about. But uh, so far, so good. Paul, what is one thing about working in play design that people may not know and that you're actually allowed to talk about? People do not know that I, that I'm allowed to talk about. Uh, it is very meme in the uh, in the pit. It, uh, I think that that's uh, started with the um, recruitment of Donald Smith. We got some young blood on our team. Donald is kind of in his early 20s, along with Andrew Brown. So they kind of feed off of each other. And so now, I mean, it, like at some point, they just start saying things. And I have no idea what they're saying. And I just start, I feel like like an old man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and yeah. Uh, I, I know that feeling. Yes, I can yeah, relate. Yeah, yeah. They'll be saying things. And sometimes, like, if I don't understand a meme, I'll, like, Donald will be my go-to guy. I'm like, Donald why are people doing this? And he's yeah. like, oh, well, it's really interesting. Started on Twitch, and then like it evolved into this, and I'm like, okay, cool, thanks. Yeah, uh, yeah so, so uh, you know, uh, that's been one thing that's, uh, that, that's been interesting uh, from, from inside. Uh, just, just, you know, le- learning how the, the, you know, the younger kids uh, react to things. So because there's a general difference in terms of your colleagues, for example, some of them may be 10 years or a, a decade younger than you or even more. Does that mean that they, did they start playing Magic when they were, I don't know, five years old or something? Like, do they understand <laughs> the, the history or the culture of the game? I'm not saying that's a requirement to work on the team, but I'm just curious. In fact, uh, yeah, so it definitely is not because Donald actually started, um, I believe, in Theros. So so what's really funny now is because Magic is such an old, uh, it's been around for so long, right? Yeah. Where somebody goes, I've been playing this game for a long time. It's like, and they're like five years, and you're like, five years. But if you think about it, right, five years on any other game, that's like an eternity, right? Yeah. Yeah. But for Magic, it's like, he's like, I started in Theros. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, that just seems like yesterday, but it's not. It's actually been a really long time. I mean, Donald didn't even know that Mercadian Masks was a set, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So so it is not a requirement. And I actually like the fact that we have a mix of kind of the old and the new because, you know, there's 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 different approaches and there's different fresh approaches to mm-hmm. kind of the game with, with the way Donald learned, for example, Limited Magic, where, you know, for as long as he's known Limited you know, he's known that being aggressive really pays off, right? Because, like, you know, you play Amonkit Limited and you have cards like Gustwalker. It's like a two-man and two-two that flies, right? So he's like, yeah, I just want to take all the Grizzly Bears and just want to give people the beatdowns. Whereas the old-school players, spells used to be way better than the creatures, right? So the the old-school players are more like, no, I want to take some card draw, I want to take removal, you know, like, I want to draft this way. (laughs) So it's it's nice kind of having a mix for the both. And I think it's actually really important for us, uh, especially kind of in our playtest drafts, to have a mix of that. And, uh, you know, I think having having these, like, newer, younger players who are more aggressively slanted definitely helps. Yeah, I think it's good to have people in general working in a team with different perspectives, especially if they grew up in an era where they're playing other games or they didn't necessarily need to go through, you know, Prost Bloom or something like that. It, you know, they, <laughs> they, they bring something new and, uh, and that's always good to have perspectives, right? Yeah, definitely. And I will say, I mean, Donald has been a fantastic 
fantastic addition to the team and uh, very happy that he's here. Yeah, he has been. I mean, just by his his tweets and just, you know, how on the ball he is with a lot of stuff. I actually had no idea he had only... Don't get me started. Don't get me started on his <laughs> I know, tweets. And now I know he's also the meme whisperer, so that's kind of cool. No, but not just that. I, I, I was telling him, I'm like, somebody needs to manage his tweets because half of his tweets are like good tweets and the other half is just like... I want a oh, it's totally shit. fine. As long as you just put Watsy staff hashtag, it's all no, fine. No, you should not watch. First of all, I don't think you should Watsy staff that one. But it's just like half of them completely make no sense, and the other <laughs> half are actually good tweets. And I'm like, man, you need like a tweet manager. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that aside, I think Donald's great. And Paul, tell me a little bit about how you got into commentary because you know. I see you all over the place, whether it's, you know, these MCs or I think the first time we met was actually in London. And then I also see you in the NPL weeklies. Tell me how long you've been doing commentary and and sort of how you landed the role, because it sounds like it's kind of a, a gig in addition to your day job, right? Yeah, so I started doing commentary, I want to say, actually, like I kind of got into it right before I kind of started working at Wizards. I was given the opportunity to do some Grand Prix uh, from Greg Collins. And that's kind of, that was kind of at the point in my life where I was thinking, okay, you know, this competitive magic thing is fun, but, you know, doing commentary is a more, it's a better long-term solution, right? Because I can fall off the train any year. But if I do commentary and get my foot in the door there, I can continue doing commentary even if I fall off the train or what, what have you. So I started doing a few Grand Prix and I got some pretty good responses, which kind of built my confidence. And I was like, okay, you know what? I feel like all, all, all the, you know, the, the time I spent streaming and making content, uh, that really helped me to kind of be able to also transition into doing commentary and I was really, really enjoying it. And, and, uh, like in what way, just give me some examples of that. Just, just being able to talk and talk through, especially talking through lines of play, talking through lines of play, um, sometimes doesn't come naturally. And it's one of those things where making a, a deck video every single week for channel fireball helped me a bunch uh, explaining why I did things on stream also made me say things with confidence. So one thing that you'll see, especially when I'm doing coverage, is I will say things with confidence. Even if they're wrong, I will confidently be wrong, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and again, just having all that experience being in front of a camera or a mic and being able to talk through all my lines have really allowed me to kind of express those lines on, 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 on coverage as well. So I think, um, you know, a really good pool to draw from for coverage are people who do stream on a regular basis. Because, you know, number one, um, your primary goal is to try to be entertaining, right? Get people to watch your stream. You're going to do that by being either the top 0.001% of players or be, by being very, very entertaining. Um, so I think just all the elements that went into being a or trying to be a successful streamer, um, I was able to apply to commentary. I see. Is it yeah. something that you still feel like you have a hill to climb or how do you feel right now about your commentary game, so to speak? Um, you know, I think there's always things that I could be working on. I think for me, the thing I especially need to work on is just the way I process my thoughts and say things outside of the actual match. I think my in-game analysis, I don't know how much better I can get at doing that. 
But I think, you know, anytime somebody proposes a question to me when we're kind of at the analyst desk or whatever, those are times where I can kind of try to put my thoughts together a little more cohesively and, um, yeah, just, just respond to questions better because that's something that I'm not as used to where somebody asked in person, asking me a direct question and me answering. Whereas everybody, look, everybody can talk about magic, right? We've all just watched coverage before or, or, you know, just talking about lines of play or whatever with friends. So that's something that's in my wheelhouse that I'm very comfortable with. But me having to do a deck tech with somebody or having to answer some questions while at the desk, those are things that I still know that I need to uh, improve on. And I'm still working on it. And uh, hopefully it's it will show over time. Do you ever go back and revisit some of the footage and it almost like someone a basketball player looks at film or something like that is that something that you ever do or or to kind of revisit things so i should do it more i try to just get feedback from my colleagues because i think this is i'm not this is not a unique thing but i'm kind of i get kind of uncomfortable listening to myself you know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I listen to my own voice and then I, you start getting hypercritical of the things that you say and I toss in an um here that I'm not supposed to. <laughs> I know the feels, yeah. I just go, oh God, I just want to turn this off. I just feel so awkward. It's very cringy. So I I try to avoid it, but I know that if I want to improve, I need to keep looking back at old film and seeing where I can improve. And, you know, honestly, I love doing coverage so much. I mean, that's why I continue to do it even while working here because it's a lot of extra work, you know. Like I got everything, you know, when I go home, I have to load up Arena or Magic Online, play a bunch of games with a bunch of different decks so I actually can sound like an expert, right? Because the formats that I'm testing here in the office is completely different than the current standard environment. So, but I do it because I absolutely love it. And honestly, even if I didn't accept this job at Wizards, I think I would have made the transition into doing coverage full time if I was given the opportunity. Yes. And by the way, you mentioned something that's very, I don't even think it's underrated, but like people need to understand it, which is for commentators, you need to really understand what it is you're talking about, which is the format and the decks, (laughs) right? I think that's super underrated. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, that's why that's why they're the expert seat, right? If you have an expert that doesn't know what they're talking about, well, you done goofed. So, um, yeah, I, I think it is really important, and I think it's like, for example, the last event was was really difficult, um, the Modern Hurt London specifically, because not only were you know many of the casters just didn't know what any of the cards did uh, all the time, right? Because it the set just came out, mm-hmm. but also just. Uh, casting modern is a lot more difficult than casting standard because with standard you only need to test like six decks maybe six to eight decks or see how they work with modern it's just like so many different decks and to be able to like accurately call all the different lines of play for all the different modern decks it's really difficult yeah for sure and and I, I don't know, maybe there's a correlation there but I really enjoyed your work on the MPL weekly series and maybe that has something to do with it Mm, thanks. Yeah, yeah, that was me me filling in. It's also a really good excuse for me to go back to LA cuz we we do we you know we they're they're based in LA so it's uh it's 
it's it's nice for me to do that. I also just like doing coverage, but you know I do need to find that balance because now I have a family. So you know every time I go to one of these big events, I I'm gone for a long time. And credit to my wife Lisa for being able to be a super mom mm-hmm. and be able to watch the kids while I'm gone because that's one of the the difficult parts about living in a place where neither of your parents are there, right? The grandparents, you, can, you can't ever drop off the kids as your grandparents. You know, we very rarely have date nights and stuff. And uh, sometimes it wears, on, wears, wears you out. And so, I, again, I just, a big, big shout out to, to Lisa for being able to uh, watch the kids while, while I'm gone. And uh, I think it's getting easier now, though, because now they're both, they can both walk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, it could be good or it could trained. be bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's better than where, where like you have to constantly be kind of watching. Like if, if a kid's under one, you just have to always be vigil, always be watching them. But when they're, when they're kids, they can just play with each other. You have actually some time for yourself. So things are getting a little bit easier. What about for you and Lisa? Are you guys fairly well adjusted to Seattle at this point? Yeah. I mean, Seattle has been great. You know, I think, uh, it's, for us, we're a little biased. We're just like, yeah, but this is no LA. But uh, there's no K Town here. Yeah, it's 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 no K Town. But the one thing that that took some adjustment is the constant rain. Right now, the weather is amazing, but there's like a nice seven month window where it's just raining almost always. Like like or or kind of overcast and gloomy looking. Mm-hmm. And I I remember at one point last year, where I was like, oh man. This is I'm I'm starting to get a little bit sad, right? Like month <laughs> month number five, and it's still kind of you know. I, by the way, I mean I'm coming from just like either living in California yeah, or always Curacao, sunny. yeah, where I was in the, literally by the equator, and it's just always sunny mm-hmm. to this place where it's just kind of always kind of foggy and, and 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 overcast. But outside of that, you know, just the Pacific Northwest has been great. The culture here is good. So uh, yeah, uh, the transition has been pretty easy, pretty painless. Do you miss competitive magic at all? You know, this might surprise some people, but not, you know, not really. Not not really. I mean, I do like playing competitive magic, but even now, if I had the option to choose between both, I I really really enjoy doing commentary. I really do enjoy doing coverage and I think I would prefer to do that. I think I get more joy out of bringing excitement and entertainment and information to other people. So being able to do that in the caster seat where I can, you know, show myself getting hyped, teaching people about how these decks work, that actually brings me more enjoyment than just kind of sitting in some tournament and doing well. I mean, don't get me wrong. Of course, some part of me, you know, watches somebody make a mistake and go, well, I wouldn't have done that. Uh, but at the same time, I think I still just get more enjoyment out of doing all the coverage stuff. So uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't miss it that much. I mean, keep in mind, competitive, some of the co- aspects of competitive magic, I mean, those are long days. Those are long matches, you know, and it does wear you out mentally. So some of those aspects I don't miss. But I, I, play, I play plenty of high-level magic in the office where... Uh, I kind of get to keep my competitive juices flowing. Okay, so you you do have a competitive outlet, even specific to Magic. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the thing is, the play design team 
we're no nobody there is a slouch, right? We we are intentionally hiring very very capable, very good magic players who are very good at analyzing balance and just have proven themselves to be very capable magic players. So you know, if I'm doing a draft, I'm not playing to lose. You know what I mean? Uh, so totally. I still want to beat I still want to beat these people, and we even hold we hold like mock tournaments, right? Just to kind of simulate, like, all right, everybody. You know, throw your brews aside. Let's see what. Let's try to get a gauge for what the best decks are, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, we'll even do stuff like that. And you know, we internally we even have like a little little trophy for whoever ends up winning that tournament that you can hold until the next tournament. You know, because that way people are trying and there's a little something something to play for. Uh, so uh, currently, just throwing it out there, I got the trophy. Right on, <laughs> right on. There you go. No you got deal, no just deal. like you had the maybe one of the highest elos on the island. You know, you, you've got the trophy right now at Wizards. <laughs> exactly. What is something that you might tell the younger Palchion if you could go back in time five years? Five years? Yes. Five years. Um. That's that's a tough one. You know, I I I, I think. Maybe just being more patient. Um, you know, there have just definitely been times where, where I, or or maybe more understanding. I don't know. Th- th- this is a tough one, just because I feel like the last five years have been going pretty well for me. I've, I, I don't regret too much. I've, I've got, I've been given, I've been blessed with so many opportunities. You know, my stream could have failed uh i could never have gotten this job at wizards i could have i could have fallen off the train i could have completely bombed my opportunities and coverage so you know i'm grateful for all the things but um you know just in my in my personal life i think um just just being more patient with everybody with with just uh, an understanding just like i mean the thing is you know i, I with with five within the the five-year time span i had two kids and i will say those are those are trying times you know like uh there's a lot of stress and any parent who says otherwise is just lying <laughs> mm-hmm. and um and so just i just wish that you know i i feel like everybody tries to do the best that they can as a parent but um, I feel like some part of me could have been better, but I don't know exactly what that is. But I, I, you know, it's just one of those things. You know, kind of like when you play like a pretty good game of Magic, but then you lose at one life, and you're like, I could have done something different. I don't know. So, so something tells me that I can, I can always just go above and beyond. And that's the one thing that I always work on constantly is, you know, what I can do to be kind of a better father and husband. Um, those are. Because you know they are the top priorities in my life. You know, the, sure, yes, my career is important to me. Everything else is important to me. But I, I just, um, especially you know, Lisa having to watch the kids for all this time. Like I have to be really understanding of you know that that the extra burden and stress that that she's under when I'm gone, and um, be just being more understanding of stuff like that. So uh, yeah, it's 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 something that I'm and constantly working on. I'm not perfect, but uh, you know. Just being patient and understanding for the things um, that is going to be set in motion five years ago. That's what I would tell myself. Do you see yourself as a more patient person today or in the over the past five years than you were five years ago? 
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was a lot more impulsive back, uh, back in the day, but you know, now I got kids, kids try your patience. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's like, Hey, don't do this. And they're just like, no, I'm going to do it. It's like, okay, let's try this again. Right. Um, uh, and uh, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to teach these kids that are kind of like blank slates, how to function in the world. And so, and they're not going to get it the first time. Right. So you're going to have to keep kind of hammering the points across until they get it. So I definitely am a more patient person now for sure than I was before. Got it. And now I'm going to flip the question around. If you could, Paul, if you could look at your where you are today, what is something that you might tell your future self five years from now just to make sure that he remembers or hangs on to something that you you care a lot about today? Like, What would you tell the Paul five years into the future that you want him to remember? Um, well, I hope I don't lose my way, but I would say that just try to put everything in perspective. You know, I, I mean, you see people all the time get carried away with, you know, trying to succeed in other facets of life and then forget what's kind of the most important thing. And like I said before, that's, that's still family to me. So if, if at any point, you know, I get some promotions here at Wizards and I have a lot more responsibilities and I have a lot of things and work consumes my life. I would tell, I would tell myself, Hey, look, you know, this is all everything. That's just money. You know, that's just, that's just your career. Like really remember what's important and, and, and that's family. So I hope I wouldn't forget or for, lose sight of that five years from now. That's great. So, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. I certainly learned a lot, and I hope that our listeners did as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we can still finish watching the Raptors game. There you go. Yeah, let's get into the second <laughs> half. Um, I always love talking basketball, maybe not in this podcast, but we'll definitely have to hang out some other time and, and do that. Oh yeah, I love the more people to talk basketball, the better. I will say that's my one complaint that you know, uh, for working here, not enough sports people at the Wizards building, you know, for me to just talk sports at least in play design. So I need to kind of outsource. So maybe you can be my other guy. Awesome. Well, it's a sore spot because I was talking to Marshall and I was trying to bring up the team that will not be named that used to be in Seattle, and he he was very upset. And then we had to like talk about the team as if it was Voldemort, and you know how it goes. Oh yeah. Yeah, Marshall is, uh, to this day, salty about the Thunder. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm glad we're not calling it by the original name. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I am uh, close enough friends with him where I can get that in. But <laughs> Sweet. All right. Thank you for your time, and take care, and be well. Thank you.